welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I am broadcasting from WOUF Wolf Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me again today. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday, and you're going to want to check them out. Now, you can also find me over on Instagram. Follow me over there at Speak a Dogcast. And if the visual thing is more your thing, Head on over to YouTube, go to youtube.com slash speakadogcast and subscribe to my page today. And of course, give me that thumbs up if you like what you're seeing. You can further support the show by becoming a patron of the show at patreon.com slash speakadogcast as well. And if you guys love what you're hearing, do me a favor, scroll down, give me that five-star rating, leave me a review. I would really appreciate it. Yes. Now on today's show, we have punishment, consequences, and reward too. Yes, it's been a little while since we've talked about it. We're going to go in depth a little bit on the punishment side and the reward as well, but definitely be talking about some punishment to gain some more understanding and make sure you guys understand what the proper definitions are and you're utilizing punishment and reward correctly. Then comes, so your dog knows a sit. You know what? Just listen in. You can hear what that's about. <laughs> then comes the history of Animal Mascots 101, followed by the listener Q&A. If you guys have questions for the listener Q&A, keep sending them my way. You can email me, questions at speakadogcast.com, or you can just send them on over on social media as well. Now, before we get going with today's show, I have to give you that trivia question. And today's question is going to be, what mammal has the most powerful bite in the world? Yes, what mammal has the most powerful bite in the world? I will give you the answer to that question somewhere in today's show, so be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the podcast. Next on Speak a Dogcast, punishment, consequences, and reward. So I probably haven't talked enough about this recently, my newer listeners. Maybe you haven't heard enough of, uh, of me talking and discussing, going over what the definition and true meaning of punishment is. All right. So we're, we're definitely going to hone in on probably the first two words of this title segment today more than anything. But here's the thing. The first two words, punishment, consequence, or excuse, yeah, punishment, consequences, um, they're an interchangeable word for the same definition, right? The definition of punishment is the same as a consequence. They're just, they're interchangeable words. Punishment, uh, a consequence, um, there's there's all the, you know, there's different words we can use for it. But the reality is the definition remains the same. And I think it is, I think it probably is, without a doubt, the biggest misconception when it comes to animal training and especially working with our pets. There's that extra, extra personal component to it of our heart when we're in it and working and talking about training our pets. And I see it a lot. I see it a lot, even among maybe friends and family, where we are, you know, the word is we're afraid to use punishment because we don't know what punishment is. That's, that's, you have to take that whole sentence. We're afraid to use punishment because we don't understand what in actuality, what punishment is by definition. Because here's the thing. We have misbehaving dogs and children because we aren't using enough punishment and consequences in society and in dog society uh, uh, to, to guide and direct behavior. And so what do I mean by this? Oh, David, you're talking about harsh punishment. No, not necessarily. And, and most of the time, I would hope you're not uh, for crying out loud. I, I don't want it to, you know, that's the misconception right there is that punishment equals harsh. Punishment equals pain. That's, that's a misconception, guys. 
It's just not true. Because here it is, I'm gonna lay it on the table, it's very simplistic, it's very basic. This definition is not hard, but you gotta memorize it and you gotta know it. The definition of punishment, consequence, whatever. The definition is anything an animal works to avoid. There it is. Anything an animal works to avoid. So anything, like truthfully, anything, depending upon the person, the species, the animal, the whatever, anything can be a punishment. Anything. And I'm going to, I'm going to prove this point right now. I've said this example before, but it's been a long time. This was an episode a long time ago. And so I think it's important to kind of reiterate this because this example proves it. Now, before I give this example, I have to give the disclaimer. This is an example for example's sake. This is not something I have ever done in real life. This is not something I will ever do in real life. And this is not something I recommend that you do. But it is to prove the point of punishment by definition. So with that said, if I took a dog toy out, right, and I've got a dog toy in my hand, and I take it and I hide it behind my back. And then in the other hand, I have an air horn. And again, please don't do this. I'm not recommending doing this, but this is, this is to prove the point of the definition of punishment. And I'm hiding that toy behind my back and then I bring the toy out. And the second I bring the toy out in front of my dog, I hit the air horn. Probably it's gonna scare the hell out of my dog, right? Like <laughs> not what we wanna do, but that's what's gonna happen. Now, let's say I do the same thing again. Hide it behind my back, I come into the room, dog sees me, I pull out the toy, I hit the air horn for a second time. I can pretty much almost guarantee if we repeat the process but don't use the air horn and I bring that toy out, bare minimum, your dog's gonna jump when they see that toy. Because what are we doing? We're pairing a stimulus, we're pairing a, a, a stimulus that the animal works to avoid, right? If they're scared, they're gonna run. If they're scared, they wanna work to avoid the toy. If they're jumping back, they're avoiding the toy. And by definition, that fits what a punishment is. Anything an animal works to avoid. So wouldn't you know it, Fluffy's gonna start working to avoid this toy if I just bring, if I start pairing that toy over and over and over with an air horn, I'm gonna start just having to, just bring it out, just it being on the couch. The dog you will see will actually avidly work to avoid that toy. Now again, please don't do this. I'm not recommending this. And I have never done this and will never do this. Just to reiterate one more time. But for example's sake, a dog toy, something that's meant, something the dog is meant to love and enjoy and play with and have fun, something the dog is meant to love, I can condition it to be bad. And I wouldn't want to do that, right? But you can, and that's the point. What did I just say a minute ago? Anything, anything can be a form of punishment to a dog if you condition it that way. And there's the key, guys. Crate. The crate is another example. How many of you out there know somebody who thinks the crate is mean or bad? And how many of you out there know the crate is amazing and awesome and it's been a wonderful training tool and your dog loves it? Why? Because you conditioned it that way. I say it all the time. People ask, can I use the crate for punishment? It's like, well, yes and no is the answer, to be honest. It all depends. And I'm not going to get into the, de the full detail of that today. But in a nutshell, if I condition it to be this thing that I only use for punishment and I never use as a place of happiness or soft bed or something fun to chew, or if I only use it as a form of punishment, my dog's going to work to avoid it and they're going to view the crate as a form of punishment. And then, oh, it's mean. It's only mean because it's been conditioned that way. Right? So that's that's kind of this 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 connecting point here of... We have to start viewing any psychological term, whether it's reinforcement or punishment, we have to start viewing these things really as like arbitrary things. I mean, they're not set in stone. It's not like, well, a crate is a form of punishment. Well, no, 
depends on how you condition it. Well, a toy is a fun thing for a dog. Well, not necessarily. I just proved that. So we all try to make these like automatic assumptions about every tool and everything we use with dogs. If this is a happy thing, this is a sad thing. It doesn't work that way. Conditioning is something that happens through information being given, not because a toy is fluffy and soft and they're automatically going to love it. No, it's what does that fluffiness mean in this moment? Is it is it trying to harm me? Is it not? That's that. It's very basic thoughts going through your dog's brain and assessing on is this something I like? Is this something I don't like? Look, I say it. It's it's this simple. This is how a dog operates. They're gonna go okay. This scenario, whatever this scenario, it doesn't even matter. Like I don't even I don't even have a scenario for you because it doesn't even matter. This scenario that just happened to this dog, the dog is gonna go hey. Did that scenario, did I just get something out of it? Sorry, Coco, I just got scared of that. <laughs> did I just get something out of what just happened? Yes? Cool, I'm going to do that again. Reinforcement increases the behavior. Whether good or bad behavior, doesn't matter, right? Good or bad. What's good or bad? We can go into a whole philosophical conversation today. We're not going to, but that's, aha. What's good or bad? Who's to say? Not getting into it today. I know I can hear David. Come on. No, 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 no. All right. But you see what I'm saying, whether it's good or bad, whether it's good desired behavior and undesired behavior, if it gets, if the dog goes, I got something out of it, I want to do that again, it gets reinforced and it gets strengthened, whether it's a good or bad behavior. You see what I'm saying here? So this is why it's important that we understand punishment by definition is simply something an animal works to avoid, period. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Look, we could go back to the really bad, I mean, honestly, really bad uh, research that human beings did in the 50s, 40s, 50s, 60s on animals. Uh, just not good stuff, guys. And there's, you know, there's there's the shocking um, they did with, um, interesting. Now 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 we're going to get into the reward side of it because this is, this, this is fascinating stuff as effed up as it is. Um, it goes to show we're kind of slaves to our brain chemistry um, to some degree. Well, really, to some degree, no, we're asleep to our brain chemistry altogether. Um, but here's the here's the thing, guys. They did they did, and I, look, I, um, I I'll be honest, I didn't relook up this this study, but years ago I had read about it, studied, looked at it, the study quite a few times over the years. Um, I can't remember what kind of monkeys they were, and I almost I almost actually want to say they were apes. They might have been chimps. Um, and in a nutshell, they got these chimps addicted to cocaine. Like, come on, just <laughs> and basically. Um, they tried to get them off the cocaine by providing a shock as a form of punishment for going after the cocaine. And the ape would continue shocking themselves over and over and over because of how addicted they were to the coke to try to get it again. Something that would normally be a punishment wasn't a punishment. Why? Because the animal didn't work to avoid it because they were so addicted and their brain was so screwed up. Horrible? Yes. Should we ever do that? No. Um, did we? Yeah, kind of sucks. It really sucks. Doesn't kind of suck. It really sucks. So, you know, still the, the takeaway is that the definitions of these, of these terms are always there. It's never going to go away and they always change dependent upon the circumstances, information, as I talked about, that's being given or received. Right. So, yeah, this kind of gets a little philosophical and a little like, oh, scratch my head. David, you're kind of screwing with me. Um, yeah. Like it'll mess with your brain when you start thinking about this stuff hard enough, because the reality is, are any of us in control of our uh, faculties or is it all just 
the world around us as it happens. So again, fascinating on that side that the reward outweighed the consequence. That's that's the part we're going to get to next. The reward outweighed that consequence, and all of a sudden the consequence wasn't enough. We look at human beings and repeat offenders, right? Like repeat offenders that end up in prison and um, in and out of the system. You know, there's there's multiple reasons for it. Obviously, we're not getting into that debate today, but sometimes it is that the prison sentence is not enough to make them want to avoid it. There's enough reward on whatever side in that person's brain and that whatever experience and information, there's enough reward to outweigh the consequence. This is why we don't rely on punishment only training anymore, guys. Thank God. Um, you know, back in the day, it was a lot of, as we all, unfortunately, as, as we all know, trainers relied on a lot of the harsher punishments. Now, this is why I say not only punishment, because hold on now. We still use punishment no matter what. We will never get away from using punishment ever, 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 100%. I'm going to prove this even more. You ready? We're going to keep going here. The harsher methods never worked for multiple reasons. Number one, they were way too harsh. Okay, that's the first thing. You don't need a punishment like that. And, you know, and number two, they weren't really using reward. There was no such thing as like a reward-based training. And, and I, ah, catching myself. There is no such thing as reward-based training because there is still punishment being used. Let's dive into it, guys. If I have a dog who's jumping on me, let's let's go back to, let's go basic and back to dog. I'm, no, I'm jumping around chimps, humans, dogs. All right, so if I have a dog and the dog is trying to jump on me, and I withhold my affection. I don't give him any affection. I don't give him a treat. And then all of a sudden the dog decides to finally stop. We hope sometimes it takes, usually it takes more than that. Uh, but the dog decides to stop and they sit down. What do we do? We say, good boy, and give him a treat. Dog starts jumping again. They don't get anything. They sit down, they stop, they get a treat. So, sorry if you're hearing snoring in the background again. Riker, if you can see behind me over here, uh, <laughs> he's chilling on the uh, giant beanbag chair, passed out. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so what's happening is the dog is attempting to get your attention, right? That's what they want. They want your attention or they want reward. They want reinforcement for this jumping behavior. And you don't give it to them. They stop doing it because they're not getting anything out of it. And all of a sudden they get a reward for stopping the jumping. Now, whether you realize it or not, you have passively punished your dog in that moment. Yeah, you have. Just by not engaging in what that dog's doing, you've actually punished that behavior. Why? Because punishment is anything an animal works to avoid. Now, another step on punishment. Punishment decreases behavior, guys. Punishment is how we decrease behavior. So let's think about it. The dog jumped. They didn't give them anything. They didn't get anything out of it. They stopped jumping. Well, behavior decreased. The jumping decreased. Therefore, by definition, something was punished. Do you see what I'm saying here? It doesn't have to be physical. It doesn't have to even be anything active that you're doing. It is still punishment by definition. And this is the biggest misconception. Now we're coming right back full on circle. Full circle to back to the beginning of the segment. Okay? We're still using punishment even though we're not actively doing anything and even though we're not physically doing anything. By definition, we are still punishing that behavior because the behavior decreased. There it is, guys. Boom. Proven. It decreased. And then not only that, once it decreased, I was able to reward the behavior I'm looking for. There's the other side of the coin. This is why punishment-based training doesn't work. And this is why reward-based only training doesn't work because there's no such thing as either one. 
Hell, even if the trainer doesn't give affection or food, the, the punishment gets removed at some point. That's negative reinforcement. <laughs> like we could, we could do this. I can do this all day because it's science, it's proven, and it's easy to prove because it's, you see it. It's not just like, oh, it's written on a piece of paper because sometimes scientists said so. Observe the behaviors in your dog and you will see these concepts through and through true over and over and over and over. That's what, that's like the one thing more than anything I love about my job. You cannot discredit the science. You can try to, you can call yourself a positive reinforcement only trainer, that's fine, but I can prove to you by observing your training, you're still using punishment. Whether you want to accept that or not, that's on you. Ugh. Lately, it's been really bugging me, guys. It, it really has, because people don't understand the concept of punishment. I mean, lately I'd say, oh, I don't want to punish my dog. I don't want to punish my dog. I'm like, dude, your dog is like 90 pounds and going to knock you over. It's literally jumping on you to the point that you're going to crack your head open on the ground and you're afraid of using a little collar correction on your dog. Like, what planet are we living on anymore? <laughs> I just, I don't get it. Dogs naturally punish each other with nip corrections way more harsh than anything we're doing with a martingale collar, guys. We want to do a snippet of that. You need to. It's natural. It's normal. We need to use corrections with our dog. And that's the other side of it. Yeah, there's passive punishment, but there's active punishment too. There is nothing wrong with using healthy collar corrections. There's nothing wrong with using a martingale collar. There's nothing wrong with using a choke collar if it permits, if it's the right collar for the situation. And just on top of that, nothing wrong with using a prong collar in even more minute, minority minute situations. A very small percentage of scenarios we need to be using choke and prong collars compared to on the whole. Most dogs need a martingale collar. And I'm telling you this, guys, if you start young and you start these concepts of punishment and reward when they're puppies, see this guy behind me? See this sleeping puppy over here? He wasn't a perfect angel as a puppy. He, he was very pawsy. He used his paws a lot. He's part boxer, you know. Um, he used his paws a lot. He was jumpy at first. Uh, definitely went through the mouthiness, mouthiness phase. But we stuck to our, we stuck to the concepts of training. We stuck to reward and consequence. And look what I have behind me, a sleeping, happy, fulfilled puppy that we raised uh, with these guys. So if you, if you head this stuff off early by taking care of it at a younger age, guys, you don't have to worry about these behavioral problems later on. But it's important to understand the definition of punishment. Anything an animal works to avoid. Look, we hadn't talked a lot about basic punishment that happens every single day in your life. How about as something as simple as backing out of your driveway? You ready for it? If you're backing out of your driveway, right? And let's say, you know, we all have these awesome backup cameras now and the sensors that warn you, beep, 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 beep. Someone's coming from your right side. You're backing down the driveway. Someone is coming from your right side. You hear the beep, 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 beep. What do you do? Do you keep pressing on the accelerator or do you hit the brake? Like this isn't, this isn't a trick question, guys. You hit the brake. And what are you doing in that moment? You are avoiding... Oh, I love it. Proves it. You're avoiding it. You're avoiding an accident. Why? Because an accident is something you work to avoid. It's a form of punishment. It is because then there's more punishment that comes with it. Not only that, now you have to, now you potentially have hurt somebody. Like that's the biggest one. Uh, you've potentially damaged property, your car. You are potentially adding points to your license. You're going to have to go to traffic school. You're going to get a ticket. All of these things you work to avoid. And in the literal sense, you're backing down the driveway and you avoided it, didn't you? Fascinating. How about let's go back to the dog side for a moment. I'm going to brag about my girl Penny Lane. Um, we lost her a few years ago, but 
Penny Lane was an incredible, incredible, incredible dog when it came to working with other dogs, especially working with like aggressive dogs. Um, you know, most dogs aren't looking for a fight, right? Like we all know that. Most dogs really are not looking for a fight. And what are they doing? They're avoiding a fight. So a fight is normally a form of punishment. Huh, interesting. So <laughs> when I'd bring Penny to appointments and I'd have an aggressive dog, is over here. You know what Penny would do? Penny would just look away, would make no eye contact and literally avoid, avoid, avoid stressing out that dog, avoid making eye contact and potentially starting a fight with that dog, avoid reinforcing that dog's behavior by engaging it. The definitions are everywhere, guys. How about another one for you? Years and years ago, Penny was still kind of a puppy. Maybe like, eh, she may have been like one or two by then. Um, my cat, right? My cat is laying, my wife's in bed. Cat's laying right on her stomach, hanging out, purring. My wife's loving on her. Penny comes up and lays down next to my wife. Then Penny takes her head and puts it on top of my cat. My cat stops, turns, looks at Penny, very lightly bites down on Penny's nose. Penny then removes her head from the cat. Kitty removes her mouth from Penny's nose. Penny then puts her head back next to my wife as opposed to on the cat. And the cat reaches in, leans in, and starts licking and grooming the, the dog. Guys, very simply put, there are the concepts of punishment, negative reinforcement, and positive reinforcement happening right there. I know we didn't get into great detail about all of those you know, intricacies of, of, of positive, negative, and punishment. But here it is. My dog comes over, does something the cat doesn't like. Cat wants that behavior to decrease. Therefore, if she wants that behavior to decrease, she knows she has to apply a punishment. Now, again, this is instinct. My cat isn't like thinking. This is instinct, guys. This is basic animal nature right here. She needs to apply a punishment in order to get my dog, in order to get Penny to decrease putting her head on her. So what does she do? Boop, little clamp. Nothing serious, just a little, little tiny one. Penny then removes her head, giving my cat exactly what she's looking for. So what is my cat going to do? My cat's going to remove the punishment. She doesn't want to keep punishing her if she keeps doing the right, right, or starts doing the right thing. Then Penny lays her head, and that's negative reinforcement. Then Penny lies her head down and relaxes and doesn't put her head back on the cat. What's the cat want to do? Say, hey, I like that. Keep doing that. She's going to positively reinforce the behavior. The concepts are all around you all the time. All you got to do is open your eyes and open your ears to the information because you got to understand it without having an understanding of what punishment is by definition, what positive reinforcement is by definition, negative reinforcement. You can't open your eyes to this. So I stress, understand these concepts. Don't just listen to some YouTube guy, including myself. Don't just listen to us and go, well, he's a positive reinforcement only trainer. And so that means he's nice to the dog. So that means he's going to get good results. In what universe is being your child's best friend, zero through 18 years old, in what universe does that get a well-rounded child? It's no different with your dogs, guys. You got to be the parent sometimes. It's that simple. So understand these concepts, learn how to apply them. You'll know punishment and consequence, kind of the same thing. Uh, they are the same thing, right? And then we'll understand we also have to add in the reward too. It's about balance. It's about understanding how to apply these concepts in a balanced, healthy way. Do your research. Don't take my word for it. And if you want to take my word for it, got plenty of extra segments peruse through all kinds of great information on the psychology, all that good information for helping you guys training your dog. So good luck out there, apply the psychology and you'll have better results working with your dog.
tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? Well, we can help. At The Nature of Training and Speak a Dogcast, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Our virtual training programs are catered to you and your pet and create a training plan that gets results. For more information, you can check out our website at www.thenatureoftraining.com or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Speak a Dogcast. With the ability to connect, teach, and train with pet owners around the world, together we can make a better home for our furry friends. The Nature of Training and Speak a Dogcast, helping you achieve success with your pet. So your dog knows a sit. That don't impress me much. <laughs> no, it doesn't impress me much. I'll be honest. It really doesn't. I Look, I say just because your dog knows how to sit doesn't mean he knows how to listen. It's the truth. It is. Just because your dog knows commands does not mean it doesn't mean a damn thing. I mean, I'm just being honest. It doesn't mean a damn thing. It doesn't mean your dog is well behaved. It doesn't mean your dog knows how to focus. It doesn't mean your dog isn't going to pee inside. It doesn't mean your dog isn't aggressive toward other dogs. That's my point. Commands are a tool. It is. They're, they're a tool. Look, I don't spend a ton of time with my clients teaching commands. I don't because I'm like, look, I'll be honest. First of all, it's 2023. You have YouTube. Like, if you don't know how to teach your dog to sit, what are you going to do? You're going to pull out your phone and, and find it, right? Like, so do I really need to be spending 30 minutes of our time, like, when we get to more advanced commands? Sure. That's a little bit of a different story. But I'm talking basics. You know, I, I kind of run through them. I show people my little tips and tricks real quick. But we don't spend a ton of time because that's homework I can give to my clients and they can do when I'm not there. There's more important things we can get to and focus on other than commands, so I, it's, it's not that, again, it's not that I don't think you should teach your dog commands because I, I 100% think you should. It's kind of like a crate. You know what I mean? Like people are like, oh, my dog knows how to sit and stay. And well, cool. My, my dog knows how to go in a crate. Like, it's the same thing. Like who cares? You know, like, it's a tool. Um, I know, Dave, you're being mean. No, I'm not. Like this is the reality of it. People put too much emphasis on, on the commands. It's not that it can't get you a good dog. Commands can create a good dog. But it's not the end all be all. People think teaching a dog commands is like everything. Uh, and I wish people had that much emphasis and thought on the walks and leash work and focus out of their dogs. That's what I prefer spending time on with my clients and really honing in on. Because I'll be honest, that's what makes the difference. That's what takes a good dog to be a phenomenal dog. That's what takes an okay dog to be a good dog. <laughs> okay, helps have realistic expectations on what people are going to put in time-wise. You know, I hate to be like that, but it's true. Okay, so. <sighs> to me, a sit is just a tool. Guys, there's all kinds of dog training tools. We have commands, we have a leash, we have a collar, we have treats, we have uh, crates, we have dog beds, we have different kinds of leashes, long leashes, short leashes, training leashes, we have a tie down stake for the yard. These are all just different types of training tools for different scenarios and different situations. And a command is no different. Does a command necessarily teach your dog to stop jumping on somebody? No. 
People will say down to their dogs when they I lo, like let's talk about this for a moment. Like let's 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 talk about this. It's not just that your dog knows to sit. It's any of these commands. This is one of my favorite things. By favorite, I mean least favorite. Uh, <laughs> with people and their dogs. When you yell at your dog over and over to get down, and they eventually do. Like, this is just an example. You tell your dog's jumping on the prick, down, down, no, fluffy, down, 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 down. I think I'm at like seven, and finally they did. Good, down. What happens the next day when somebody comes over? Does Fluffy continue to stay down or does Fluffy go right back up and jump? And we have to go back through the process of down, down, Fluffy, down, down, Fluffy, Fluffy, down. <laughs> Sound familiar to anybody? Because you're literally conditioning that behavior. You're literally conditioning your dog thinks they're supposed to go over, jump on somebody and not listen to you until the seventh time. And even then, it's not even like they're not supposed to listen to you. It's this is the pattern they think they're supposed to do. It's not that they're ignoring you. It's like, yeah, this is what we do. This is how we do this. So you're not actually teaching a down command or the dog just never listens and they still keep saying it over and over and over and over. Oh my God, the other day I was golfing. That's right. Uh, I was a couple weeks ago, whatever it was. It was golfing and um, somebody's yelling at their dog to stop barking because it's barking at everybody. It's bar- It won't stop. And she just keeps stop going on and on telling the dog to stop and the dog's not listening. I mean, I'm just like, yeah, yeah dog real, real well, well trained. Well, the dog listens really well, doesn't <laughs> she train that thing really well. And I'm going, this is, this is the insanity is people, what's the definition of insanity guys doing the same thing over and over and over and expecting a different result. There it is. It's insanity to me to yell at your dog over and over and over expecting that he's going to do something different. Guys, it didn't work the third, fifth, seventh, eighth, ninth time. What in the world makes you think the 20th time is going to be any different? If you want your dog to do more than just sit, to do more than just stop barking, the, before the commands even come into play, we have to create focus. And this is the thing. Like, this is what you say your dog knows. You have to start with focus and leash work. That's the thing I stress with everybody. If you can't get your dog to listen on two feet of leash, what makes you think your dog's going to listen when somebody comes over? They're not on leash and they go jump on them. When your dog is in the backyard and they hear somebody and they're barking and they're 50 feet away from you. If you don't create that focus and control on two feet of leash, extending it to four, six, eight, ten, twenty. 20, You'll never get there. People do not put enough importance and stress on creating focus on the walk, on creating focus on the leash, on teaching your dog to truly listen. Just because your dog knows how to sit doesn't mean a damn thing. Just, I can't stress it. Look, when I first walk into appointments sometimes, um, like often, often, most time, like most every time, uh, usually we leash the dog up pretty fast because usually when I walk in, the dog's not on a leash and I, I want them to, now, to be fair, I tell the owners, do your normal thing. I want to see the dog in their, their normal uh, shtick on, on whatever the behavioral issues we have are and I want to see what you normally do. Uh, but pretty quickly, we usually, you know, I'll see it within a minute and then leash up the dog, gain some control. And guys, well, we'll, we'll sit there and talk. I'll sit there and talk with the owners a little bit. We'll get some more information, go, you know, uh, get some understanding of what's happening, everybody's perspective. And as I'm standing there, I'm not really doing much. Not really doing much. If the dog sits down and relaxes, dog gets a treat. Dog goes to jump on me, maybe a small correction, maybe ignore it. Maybe just a small little push so they stop. That's it. I'm going to maybe say a no. That's it. I'm not going, no. <laughs> right? 
And I'm just giving very basic information. And all of a sudden, this dog, usually they get very frustrated because I'm not doing what normal people do when they walk in. I'm not doing the normal shtick. I'm not doing the normal conditioned behavior. And they get frustrated because they're very reliant. Dogs that have behavioral issues, and especially anxious dogs, tend to be very reliant on these conditioned patterns. Very too reliant, right? Like OCD almost, hence the anxiety, the issue, the behavioral problem, okay? Um... So when, I, when I'm working with them, I just wait for relaxing behaviors. It might take me 20 minutes. I mean, literally, I might be sitting there chatting for 20 minutes and small corrections here and there, waiting for this dog to relax. Once they do, reward. Usually after that, they get the treat, they get excited, they start jumping on me again. We go through the whole process again, and then they sit down and relax, and then I give them a treat. And wouldn't you know it, all of a sudden, this dog is just sitting there glued to me will not take their eyes off. Well, David, it's because you have food. To start with, guys, that's where it begins. I have to start rewarding focus somehow, right? I have nothing else to work with at the moment. The dog's just all over the place. You have to start. So, But I'll almost always in that scenario, I'll almost always get the comment from the owner of you know, a couple different comments I get. One of them is, I've never seen my dog sit still for that long. I've never seen him so focused. And he's only focused on you because you have the damn treat. <laughs> Right. Like those are the ones that I get most often. And that's just, but the first two, like let's, let's, take, let's go with those. Right. Um, because, and I, and I usually look at them and go, well, have you ever taken the time to do anything like this to get your dog to be patient? And they, you know, a lot of times the response is, well, I don't, I don't have the patience for that. So you don't have the patience and your dog doesn't have the patience. I wonder if there could be a correlation in that you conditioned that behavior from your behavior. So just because your dog knows, oh yeah, and that, oh yeah, sorry, fourth comment, that's where I was trying to get to with this, ha, ah. <laughs> fourth comment, the fourth comment I get um, is that, uh, oh my God, I lost my train of thought. Come on, David. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, uh, the, the fourth comment I'll get, oh my goodness, David, did you really just do that? Yes, I did. We'll see if we'll circle back to that in a minute. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, but anyway, guys, the point is you have to create this focus somewhere. You have to start somewhere. Okay. And it starts on two feet of leash, as I said. You know, oh yeah, that's the fourth comment. Come on, I knew it would come back. People go, because I won't ask the dog to sit. I'll, I'll just I'll just keep, you know, letting them come to it on their own. And the owners will go, well, he knows to sit. He knows how to sit. If you tell him to sit, he'll sit. I'm like, well, I'm sure he will. That's a conditioned response. I want him to think about what he's doing. I want Fluffy to process, wait a second, why isn't this guy giving me affection? Why isn't my overexcitement working? Normally this works. I'm not getting anything. I'm not getting anything. I'm not getting anything. Versus me going, hey, sit and go, oh, okay. Oh, okay. There's no processing happening there. It's an auto response. It's autopilot. That's not what I want. I want the dog to think, to process, to actually go, how did I get that? How do I get another one of those treats? Wait a second. I sat down and he fed me. Maybe I should sit down again. Versus sit, okay, sit, okay, treat, sit, okay, treat. Okay, we're done. Back to excitement. Sit, okay, treat. Okay, we're done. Back to excitement. You see the difference? It slows their brain down, creates thought, creates focus. Once I have that, I can ask my dog to sit, stay, jump through a flaming hoop, whatever the hell you want, because you have that focus and you have that relationship building. There it is. You're also starting to earn trust that way by letting them realize, hey, this guy actually has some nice things to offer me, not just to condition, sit down, okay, treat, sit down, okay, treat. I need those wheels to turn. 
And you don't get those wheels to turn without creating focus, without making your dog think. Otherwise, we just condition these auto responses. And when we get auto responses, it never goes well, guys. Every anxious dog I've ever worked with is in autopilot mode. They figure out this autopilot OCD stuff, behaviors that work for them, and they get stuck in it. And you can't dislodge that if you don't have any way to control their focus. And even with a dog like that, I have to go back to square one and start with focus. Focus, relax, focus, relax, focus, relax and get you something. Focus gets you something. Watch me and all the good stuff comes. Safety, food, affection, all of it comes from me. Be a source of strength to your dog, right? We've talked about that before. So, just because your dog knows how to sit, don't impress me much. Just being honest, guys. Doesn't mean a damn thing. I don't care how many... I mean, Jesus. I've seen service dogs that know... I can't tell you how many different tricks, commands... You know, not tricks. I mean, they're, they're, they're actual... You know, oh, turn on a light switch, open a door... And yet that dog has such anxiety because they didn't really teach focus. They taught conditioned auto responses. They didn't teach behavior and focus in, at, simultaneously. It's amazing. I've seen it a, quite a few times over the years where service dog training, and I'm not saying all of them, but I, I've seen it too many times now where there is a consistency to it. They don't really focus on the behavior. They only focus on conditioned responses and they end up getting behavioral issues out of these dogs. And I think a lot less dogs would fail out of programs if they knew how to find that balance a little better. I get what they're doing because those dogs are, are being trained, bred, all these things for a very specific purpose and they have to do that very specific purpose well. But I do believe they need to be well balanced. Uh, you can't have a service dog, right? And not even do believe that's that's what it requires for them to pass their tests and everything. They have to be well-balanced. They have to know how to not have separation anxiety, how to be okay with a man walking up in a hat. That was one of them with a service dog I had many years ago. Hated men in hats and would growl like crazy at them and even started snapping at them at one point. And that's why I ended up getting the phone call. Um, I, you know, it just, it, 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 it I, I can't stress it enough, guys. That focus and creating that thinking and the wheels turning and the training and the condition response and the, the sit, the stay, the commands, that's how you create a wonderful dog. That's how you create a well-balanced dog and that's how you create, as much as I can try to prove it, not to get philosophical again, a happy dog, right? So think about these things, guys. Think about getting your dog to sit because they come to it on their own versus a conditioned response. It's all a conditioned response at the end of the day, don't get me wrong. But there is a difference. I say, I've say i Over and over, I've worked with so many dogs over the years, I see it time and time again. There is a huge difference between asking a dog to sit and a dog coming to it on their own because it's what you're looking for. Try to work with your dog in a way where you don't necessarily need a vocal or physical cue to get your dog to sit. Oftentimes I can even just kind of look at my dogs and they know what I want. They know I want them to relax and sit down. We don't always have to have that verbal or even visual uh, cue to get them to do that. And it starts because I started with that focus on, those, on that two feet of leash. I can't stress it enough, guys. So just because your dog knows to sit, doesn't mean anything. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's the history of animal mascots 101. Today, we'll be talking about the University of Kansas. The University of Kansas, they were founded on March 21st, 1864. 
The University of Kansas has long-standing traditions when it comes to their mascot, as the origins trace back to at least the 1800s, possibly even earlier. Now, Kansas sports teams are known as the Jayhawks, a combination of two real birds, yes, real different birds, a blue jay and a sparrowhawk, so it is a fictional animal known as the Jayhawk. Now, the blue jay is a noisy bird, they're known to rob other nests, and the sparrowhawk, more quiet, and a stealthy hunter. So the combination of the two makes a deadly foe. Yes, now the origin of the term Jayhawk, it comes from the word Jayhawker. Yes, Jayhawker. Now this term was used in the mid 1800s to describe a group of pioneers that arrived in the area, but arguably the term has been used as far back as the Revolutionary War, where it was reportedly used to describe a group associated with American founding father and patriot, John Jay. Let me see where the J comes from. Now, Jay believed in the abolition of slavery, and his name was carried over for the use uh, to describe those in the area that were anti-slavery, but somehow also got attached to those that were pro-slavery. Not so great. However, over time, the area where the University of Kansas would be founded, Lawrence, Kansas, this would become a free state stronghold, and the nickname stuck with those that were anti-slavery. Now, During the Civil War, the image of the Jayhawk struck a patriotic chord, and by the end of the war, the Jayhawks became synonymous with the people that helped make Kansas a free state. In 1886, the Jayhawk appeared in a cheer for the university that has now become famous called the Rock Chuck Chant. Yes, and then in 1890, when the very first football team played for Kansas, it was only logical that they called them the Jayhawkers. Over time, shortened to the Jayhawks, yes. Now again, while the Jayhawks not a real bird, a combination of those two birds uh, kind of made it maybe difficult to make an original drawing. So the, they started making drawings of the mascot, and over time it developed to reflect the body to more represent the Blue Jay and the uh, Hawks Edward, right? So, so the body is actually going to be blue, representing the Blue Jay, and the head of the bird is going to be red and having more of a hawkish beak feature to represent the hawk side of the bird, yes. So by the 1960s, an anthropomorphic mascot made his appearance known as Big J. And in 1971, through a spectacular ceremony culminating with a giant egg, yes, hatching on the 50-yard line, Big J's companion hatched revealing Baby J. Apparently there's no Mrs. J in the picture though, so I don't know what that's about, but Baby J and Big J have been representing the University of Kansas for many years and have become a beloved icon for the university. Next on Speaky Dogcast, it's the listener Q&A. The first question today comes from Travis from Jacksonville, Florida. Jacksonville Jaguars rule! Travis says, not a dog-related question, but I was wondering, do you know why Jacksonville are called the Jacksonville Jaguars? Miami has the Dolphins, which makes sense. Tampa, with their pirating history, has the Bucks. What's with the Jags? <laughs> Travis, good question. Uh, you know, I, I've actually, I've had this thought before, and I'll be honest, I looked it up um, on why in the past I've actually looked this up, because I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, Florida has the Panthers, and I get we already had the NHL team, and that's probably why right there, right? Uh, the Florida Panthers were already an NHL team, if I'm not, oh, actually, were they? 
now I'm going, wait a second, who was first? I think it was. I think the, I, think the, um, I want to say they were an early 90s expansion team, the Panthers, and the Jags were mid-90s uh, probably. So may, yeah, that makes sense. And that's probably why uh, they weren't able to call them the Panthers. But yeah, Jags don't live in Florida. What gives? Um, so it turns out that the oldest living Jaguar in North America <clears throat> was actually at the Jacksonville Zoo at the time. There was a naming, uh, you know, like a naming contest, I guess, and that's where they chose the name um, for the team through a contest. Other options were apparently also the Stingrays and the Sharks. So there you go. That's why they're the Jags, you know? I, I kind of like it. I always thought the Jag was a pretty cool mascot. I like the colors, um, but I'm not a, I'm not an NFL fan in general, to be honest. I was never really a Jags fan, so oh, sorry, buddy. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Travis. But there you go. That's why the Jacksonville Jaguars are the Jacksonville Jags. Next question. This comes from Terry from Las Vegas, Nevada. Terry says, I run a small doggy day camp and boarding business out of my home. Now, on my doggy day camp days, I like to pick the dogs up, take them for a walk, then go back to the house for play and social time uh, and everything else for the day. Now, I ask my clients to make sure that they feed their dogs and take them out to use the bathroom before I pick them up. Otherwise, I have 10 to 15 dogs with me and I have to stop every two minutes on our walk to let them poop, carry tons of poop bags, and it eats up so much time on our walks. I know my clients are being lazy and not taking them before I get there. Have you ever dealt with anything like this before? Terry, I feel your freaking pain. <laughs> I am so right there with you. I have had this issue. Yes. Uh, part of the reason I changed my doggy day camp <clears throat> pickup process was because of this reason right here. Um, I think it's ridiculous. I agree with you wholeheartedly. You know, look, you should have, you should be, able, first of all, for anybody who owns their own business, guys, it's your business. Make whatever terms you want. And Terry, here's my suggestion. You give those dogs a week off. If they continue to be a problem, and this is whether behavioral or just pooping on the walk, and I know being pooping on the walk is not behavioral, but for crying out loud, yes, Terry, I agree with you. It's time consuming for you. You're not there to let your, you're, you're not there to, to, to let their dogs poop and pee on the walk. That's not the purpose of you doing this. It's doggy day camp. I hear you, Terry. I'm right there with you. You want to get the exercise in. You want to make sure all the dogs on the walk are getting the proper amount of exercise. Everybody's getting what they need at the time your clients are paying for. And instead, you're stopping every minute to let the dogs poop and pick it up, taking five minutes each time because you got to drop the leashes, put them all in a sit, get the back. I hear you, Terry. I hear you. It's a nightmare and it's not right. Um, do I have suggestions for you? There's my suggestion. Consequences for your clients. Right, we talked about punishment today and consequences. I I truly believe. Look, I I used to know another behavior specialist who he would do a consultation for a fee, and if you ended up signing up for anything with him, he'd refund the consultation to you. And he viewed viewed it as it was a first way to reward behavior for signing up. Um, I don't think the people ever caught on to that though. So you know, how much is that really working? Um, but yeah, you know. I, I would punish clients. I'm just being honest. I would punish your clients and be like, look, if you guys can't wake up 20 minutes earlier to let your dog do his business so we can actually have better quality time at doggy day camp, then your dog needs to take a week off and I'll see you next week. You know, uh, that, that's what I would say. That's about all you can do. You, you have to set your rules for your business. You own, you operate your business. It's all you, you know, I get it. You, you know, you're, you're running a small doggy day camp operation. You're like me, you're by yourself. Um, I can hear it, you know, it's tough. And so you got to stick to your guns. You may lose a client or two. I'm warning you now, but usually it's the client or two that you don't really want to keep anyway. So <laughs> my suggestion would be know what works for you. 
know what is going to benefit you and your dog, client dogs and your clients, what's going to benefit everybody the best. And if that means letting a couple of the loose links go to get people who understand your time is valuable and your other client's dog's time is valuable. Your other clients are paying for your dog to sit there while everybody else poops because they did it right. See, that's what I'm saying. It's not fair. Don't be afraid to set that boundary and draw the line in the sand, Terry. I'm all for it. Um, And it sounds like you got 10 to 15 dogs. You're doing great. It sounds like you're doing great and you're doing awesome things. So even if you lose those few clients, you're going to gain three more for the one you lose. You know what I mean? Sounds like you're doing awesome. Keep it up and stick to your guns. The answer to today's trivia question, what mammal has the most powerful bite in the world? It's the hippopotamus. Yes, hippos have a bite that can reach a PSI of 1,821. Yes, that's 1,821 pounds per square inch of pressure in their bite. That's going to wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday and you're going to want to check them out. You can follow me on Instagram at speakadogcast. Check out my YouTube channel at speakadogcast and become a patron of the show today at patreon.com slash speakadogcast. If you love what you're hearing, do me a favor, take a moment, scroll on down, click that five-star rating, give me the thumbs up, leave me a review. I would greatly appreciate it. I want to thank my patrons, my pup supporter, Regula Wright, and my dog friend, Maureen Frozen. Have a wonderful week, and don't forget, get out there and walk your dog. Bye.